It appears that we are recording. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, testing, tail, testing, one, two. Tail of the tape. <laughs> so I am Jeff Workheiser, and you are Danny DeLeon. And we are. We should have a theme song that we can sing together. Dun, 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 dun. No. Uh, no. No. Okay. <laughs> At some point, we will have a theme song of some sort, or at least some intro music. But we have not figured that out. Nor have we figured out the title to this endeavor. We were just joking before we hit the record button that at some point, however many episodes in, we're going to start talking about this thing by name, but we don't have the name yet. So here we are in classroom three behind the divider near the stacked chairs, which we have appropriated as our temporary studio. We have a plastic box full of microphones and all that good stuff. And here we have podcasts. We'll travel, right? That's right. Set up shop anywhere. Yep. <laughs> I'm drinking uh, called Streetlight Blend. Wow. It's another dark roast, hot coffee. Streetlight? Streetlight, it's, it's the name of the, the roaster. That's what they no, call it. Oh, okay. So, um, Is it good? Know. It's a dark roast. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. They're all kind of similar. Okay. So, I like it. You're drinking water. I'm drinking water today. I'm all coffeeed out by this time. And you uh, you got on me so hard on the last episode with the uh, the frappe uh, that I had to yeah. look the other well way. Well deserved. <laughs> In fact, it was so, I mean, I came ready to talk more about it today if you'd like to. I, I can't quite get over that three inches of whipped cream and an inch of caramel. <laughs> well, why don't we just talk about this water from Let's try know, purified water. It's not just any water. It's Kirkland, purified water. It's Kirkland water. brand. It's Costco. Uh, there we it's go. got to be good. Yeah. So you got to keep hydrated when we're talking so much. They're not a sponsor, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 nothing official. <laughs> Although if they wanted to buy us equipment or something, we'd probably take it. But no, we don't have sponsors. And frankly, Daddy, I think this is the kind of podcast that's probably never going to have sponsors. Oh, I think you're right. It would be great if we had some listeners at some I point. Think you're right. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but we're having fun, and we're trying to kind of figure out again what I, I, we don't know what episode this is. We think it might be episode five because the second episode, like the first one, went so long that we think we're probably going to edit it into two, but we haven't done that yet. So this could be the third, fourth, or fifth episode. If it's more than the fifth one, we're in trouble. (laughs) So uh, our first series in, I don't know, what we hope will be a lot of podcasts, a broad discussion of apologetics using Mm -hmm. the book Mere Christianity, and it occurred to me a little bit ago, and Danny and I were talking about this as well, that... I'm not sure that at any point up till this, up till now we've actually said to people, you should read this book. Have well, we said that? I don't know, but let's say that. You should read this book. You should read this book. <laughs> this is a good book. Uh, it is a good book. I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, he's an interesting writer, so to say the least. So if you have an opportunity, pick up the book, read it, um, and follow along. Yeah, and it's not a, I think I mentioned my passion for short chapter books. Uh, for certain times of the day, but it's not a, I mean, it's a book that makes you think, it provokes thought, but it's not a difficult book to read. You're not going to have to look up a hundred words. I mean, sometimes you read through some of these and you're, you've got to have a dictionary by your side. Um, And it's, it's usually, you can find it, you can find it at any used bookstore. You can buy it new on Amazon for probably anywhere from six to 15 bucks, depending on your preference. If you want Kindle or if you want to, paperback or something if you want a nice hardcover you might have to spend a little more but yeah. so it's an easy book to find and uh, 
So anyway, we recommend that you get it and read it. Certainly, our conversation will probably make a little more sense if you've read the book or you're I reading so. along with it. <laughs> so, uh, so broadly speaking, Danny, uh, last week we talked about book one. We decided rather than to dig into great detail in all five chapters, we would just sort of summarize. So right. what were the kind of the, the main points of book one that Lewis was trying to get across? Uh, one of the main points that Lewis was trying to get across is he, he was talking about the standard of right and wrong. And so he was uh, kind of defining, and, and not introducing God into the picture yet, but right. he was just broadly defining like, okay, we, there's a sense of right and wrong. It does exist. Where does it come from, right? And so he's kind of paving the way at this point, establishing what he's going to be talking about uh, later on in the book. Um, you know, where did it come from? Why does it exist? Um, things like that. Right, which is at this point, well, ultimately it is unknowable in the sense that we cannot prove it empirically. Right. But where does the evidence take us? Right. And so so his second point basically is that the best explanation of of the reality of right and wrong, which most people would agree exists, the best explanation is that there is something or someone out in the universe that seems to care Mm-hmm. that seems to want to push us in one direction instead of another. Right. And so um, and he cites that uh, that existence of right and wrong, what he calls the, the moral law, mm-hmm. and also the existence of the universe as evidence that this someone exists. Yeah. And so that's that's really mostly what he talked about in book one, even though yeah. we took a lot longer to... I know, right? What's <laughs> even all that caramel? It just kind of, just kind of got. You had caramel, I had caramel, caramel, caramel. We had whatever that that sugary stuff was. It was good, man. Caffeinated hey, stuff. It was good. So, yeah. So we just kept talking. Our mouths just kept working, and before you knew it, forty-six minutes had passed. Uh, so today we want to take up book two. Of mere Christianity, the o- the overview, the overall theme here is what Christians believe, and um, you know he he I think he does a good job here of of reminding us again that what he's interested in here, and going back to the purpose of why he started these broadcasts on the BBC in the nineteen forties, and why he wrote this or put drew this together into a book, is mm-hmm. that there are a lot of stuff that you could debate about Christianity, within Christianity. He's trying to focus on the stuff that most Christians would say. If you said this, most Christians would say, yes, I agree with that. Right. And they might get into, you might get into the details and have some disagreement, but that's really what he's looking for. So mm-hmm. we can discuss later, in particular in Chapter 5, which we want to spend some time on next episode. Right. Uh, we can discuss whether he's hitting the right notes with that, you know, whether he's gotten to the core, whether he's missed some stuff or included some stuff we would disagree with. But uh, so maybe we'll spend some time next time talking about that. So what we basically want to do is um, Danny and I, as we were reading these books, uh, this book, we we kind of took notes. So here are the chapters we'd really like to talk about. And in book two, we both agreed we wanted to spend most of our time talking about chapter three and chapter five. Yeah. So that's going to be how we're going to do it. And, but the other ones are important to the progression. So mm-hmm. today what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of an overview of Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. We'll have a, what we think will be a longer discussion of Chapter 3. Right. And we'll stop today, hopefully less than 45 minutes. That's to go. Yeah. <laughs> and then next time we'll pick up, uh, we'll do a, an overview of Chapter 4, and then we'll dig more deeply into Chapter 5. So that's where we're headed 
in case anybody is concerned with that. So, chapter one, rival conceptions, rival ideas about what this something or someone in the universe is, what we would call God. And so Lewis begins with a big group and then divides, and then he divides it again. He's trying to get down to some kind of a core. So uh, so what's the first sort of division he divides people in, Danny, in terms of how they feel about God? Well, um, he says that the majority of people do believe in some sort of God or gods. Um, you know, you think back to the Greeks and how they had all these different ideas about different gods. You know, think about Acts 15 or 17. I can't think right now. Um, where where the or Apostle so. Paul, he's at the Areopagus, you know, and he's speaking. He's like, you know, I see around and you guys have many gods, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they worshiped a lot of different things. So there was always this idea of there's something out there, you know, um, and so he, he begins to break it down from, I think, that point, you know, uh, breaks, breaks it down a little bit more narrow. Um, so he would describe it as a majority. That's still a majority that's position. Still a majority. Most people still believe in the existence of some sort of God, or as you mentioned, gods. Right. He's lumping, at this point, Hindu, for example, Hinduism, right. which has many gods, right. is still lumped in with the, the majority here. And exactly. some minority does not believe in the existence of God. He didn't have any statistics in his book, again, writing in the early to mid-1940s, I did jump out and just look to see sort of what some of the latest research is on that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's still by far a true statement. Most people believe in some sort of God. But as we would not be surprised to find out, atheism is creeping up. Right. It's making some large, percentage-wise, some large strides. Um, in 2009, about 2% of Americans self-identified as atheists. By 2019, that was 4%. Now, 4% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you say the number of atheists in America doubled in a decade, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound so good. Right. Uh, 3% of Americans in 2009 described themselves as agnostic, which is essentially there may or may not be a god. If he exists, he's irrelevant, which leans closer, I think, to atheism than to it does. Christianity. Yeah, no, that so. jumped from 3% to 5% in a decade. So I was also interested, I was looking, I found some data from 2017 talking about some other places in the world. Um, 19% of Belgians describe themselves as atheists. 16% of people from Denmark, 15% of the French, 14% from the Netherlands and from Sweden, 25% of people in the Czech Republic identify as atheists. Wow. So, um, you know, we're, we're America-centric in our conversations. It's who we are. It's where we're from. But right. this is a, an issue all over. And um, so this is a fundamental, and again, this is a man writing in England, uh-huh. de- dealing with a, with a European audience. I didn't see numbers for England today, but England is considered to be post-Christian. So I would expect these numbers to be pretty high in England as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a concern, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I, you know, I don't know what the bigger concern is. You know, is, is that worse or it's or is Satan more, more cunning in convincing people who believe in God to live in a way that makes him irrelevant, mm. <laughs> takes the power? I, I, I don't know what's worse. Ultimately, I think you get to the same end. Yeah. But... Um, 
you know, I think it's easier to point at atheists and say, oh, people don't believe in God, they're the problem. I don't know if that's certainly in the church today. I don't, you know, we, we, we spend a lot more time in our work trying to help people to uh, live out their, their faith as we struggle to live out our faith mm-hmm. more than just professing things. So I don't know, but I can't imagine not believing in God, that the hopelessness of that. Yeah. Uh, he, he takes another step down in breaking down of saying, uh, he's saying, okay, you've got people who believe in God or gods, but uh, there's another division there. Did you remember what that was about? Mm. What do you, uh, no, I can't recall right now. And I just put you on the spot. Cause you I did? I yeah, no, but that's okay. Oh, no, it's, uh, <laughs> so it's, some people would talk about God as being beyond good and evil. Oh, okay, what he talks about as pantheism. Correct, that's Okay, it. okay. Um, so God exists, but he is some, something of, out yes, there that is right. not a part of our reality. Right, right. Versus? Versus, um, well, what? Christianity would believe, or what Islam even, or Judaism would believe, is that um, God is good and that he desires uh, certain conduct in, in humans, right? And so that he He cares what right. goes on in the universe. He cares about what goes on in, in humanity. He's not a God that's far out there that's, you know, yeah. uh, you know I think of Zeus or something yeah, like that, right. you know, uh, these are the peasants and I am the God. <laughs> he doesn't think, he doesn't think of it's us that way, right? Um, and so, good, good and evil is something he's involved in. Exactly, he's not. He's not above outside. It. He's of not it. outside yeah. of it, right? Which is key for us as we move toward this idea of Christianity. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, Lewis is still dealing with fundamental stuff here, and I was struck at this point that he basically asks a question that is still so fundamental to things we run into with people, which is, you know, if God, if there is a God and He is good, um, how come the world? Uh, as he puts it, how come the world seems to have gone wrong? Yeah. I kind of want to start using that in my fr- phraseology. <laughs> the world has gone wrong. I can't do a British accent, but uh, but basically, this is the problem of evil, right? Yeah. And this is a this is a roadblock. This is an obstacle for for a lot of people as they're trying to decide how to align their lives. So, what are what are some things you can think of that cause people to ask that question? Danny, you know, how do you how do you reconcile the presence of evil with a good God? What are some of the things that are going on in the world that make people say, how could there be a God if this is happening? Oh, just think about the things that we consider cruel or, you know, the things that we consider unjust. You know, we, we look at the world and we have a sense of what is right and wrong, as we discussed uh, previously. And so when we see, uh, you know, things that are wrong, uh, that are unjust, I mean, we, we say, well, how can that be? How can God let that, if there is a God, how can he let that happen, right? If he is good, how can he let evil? Yeah, racism uh, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. People, yeah. yeah. Yeah, justice is probably a big one. That's one that, because we hold, we hold as Christians, one of the things we hold to about God is he is a just God. And so... Right. If you're trying to advocate for, well, this is part of God's nature, and people say, well, look at all the injustice and how terrible that is. Right. Yet again, my phone is... Right. You want to get that? This starting to become a and trend with you, from, man. I know. From PPL this time. <laughs> Boy, I always want to take their call. 
I'm just going <laughs> to shut this thing off. I'm kind of embarrassed that that happened to me two weeks in a row. I, um, so, yeah, so other stuff like, uh, you know, we live in a COVID world. I think about people look at disease as an example of, uh, you know, how could God allow this to happen? How could God allow, and we could say that collectively, like how could God allow there to be a pandemic that kills a lot of people? Mm-hmm. But oftentimes I think what you have are people uh, people suffering from a disease or something like that, and it's personal. Yeah. It's how could God allow me or how could how could God allow my loved one to suffer, right. to to. You know, to to deal with the disease and to be terminal, but to live for a couple of years or however long in a miserable state, how could God allow that? And so, um, what else? You can think of anything else that? Well, I think uh, war. War, absolutely. You know, wars that go on. You say, well, how can how can this happen? How can God let genocide happen? Yes. You know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, which are. Good questions they to ask. Questions. I mean, they're, they're, we have you know we have to ask those questions. They're they're real, right? Yeah. And so they exist. Yep. Um, Natural disasters, stuff like that, where yeah. where you would say, well, God God would have the power to stop this, right? And yet He doesn't. Yeah. So it's a legitimate question, and I think Definitely. it's one that you know, as you deal with, as we talk to people who are not Christians or to people who are, but they are. We all have our doubts. We all struggle with certain things, and mm-hmm. this is one that that can cause us to doubt our faith. And yeah. uh, it's really important to acknowledge that this is this issue has not gone away. Nothing that has developed in the world has made has answered this completely the way we want it to be answered. Right. Although Christianity provides an explanation, which we're moving toward. Yeah. So chapter two, uh, he's dealing with some of these explanations for the existence of evil. And he, he mentions two that he describes as just not Deep enough, basically, too easy. Yeah, uh, he he talks about atheism. Uh, he says that there's no, you know, this whole idea of that there's no meaning in the universe. He uh, that's too simple. Right. It doesn't provide. It's a cop out. It's a cop out, right? right? Um, but he also says, you know, watered down Christianity, uh, in a sense, would be too simple too, right? If you just talk about, uh, you know, God is love and, and you don't talk about everything that that means, you know. Um, so what, what uh, are some of the things we would say have to be a part of any discussion about Christianity that are that are not just the light and fun and happy things? What would some of those be? Well, I mean, Christ himself talked about the cost of following him. Yeah. And so, you know, there's obedience that comes to that. There's the denying of self. Yeah, taking right? up your cross. Uh, taking up your cross, following him, you know, and what that means. And the Bible gives us those answers of what that means to, to deny self and, and follow Christ. Um, but that's that's different than this watered down, you yeah. know, God is love. He loves me. However <laughs> I am, I can do whatever I want. He wants kind only of, good things for you. He wants only what, yeah, he wants, he's in. Yeah. And, he's going to take away your suffering. Your right, life right. is going to be easy. Right, right. Yeah. That's, that's How many Christians have been told that and have discovered the reality and said, I've been lied to. Right, right. Yeah. So there's that. There's, you know, that the reality of sin. There's the reality of judgment. Right. And eternal punishment. and. Right. There are different ways to look at that, but you know, if you if you're talking about Christianity and you're you're eliminating or sugarcoating all those things, you're describing a different gospel. Right? That's right. That's right. So that doesn't that's not sufficient. No. So he advocates that biblical Christianity furnishes really a, a better answer. 
Yeah, and and, and it's not a simple answer, right? Um, or the other ones you hear, it's too simple. The answer that he talks about, biblical Christianity, is not a simple one. Salvation is, you know, when we're talking about terms of salvation, salvation tends to be simpler, but everything that that means, everything that that entails is not simple, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, that his explanation really make kind of makes your head hurt in some ways because <laughs> then you've got to think about the way that it plays out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that he's coming from is the world was created good. And this is the Genesis account. Yeah. Christianity says the world was made good, but then eventually it's corrupted. And so we talk about the fall. Sin enters the world. Yeah. Um, and I like how I've used this in sermons before, and I think at times maybe I've used it without citing Lewis, <laughs> which I, I try to do to say, you know, if I get something like that from somebody else to say, here's something I read, or here's, but sometimes I do a better job of that than others. But, um, you know, he talks about evil as being um, not a created thing. Yeah. That evil, God did not on day four of creation or whatever, or after creation, say, oh, you know what, we're missing, we need some evil here, let's throw some evil. Uh, So he talks about it as a parasite. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've extended that before and talked about it as like rust or cancer, uh, that are things that, where you take something that's good, you take healthy tissue, and something causes it to metastasize, and now you've got cancer. Cancer wasn't the original, but it's a corruption of something good. You take a piece of metal, right. it's beautiful, a piece of steel, you'll send it out in the rain. Right. All of a sudden, you go back a couple of days later, and it's got rust. Yeah. Rust, it's gonna, it's, it corrupts it, it weakens it, but it's not God. Prob- I don't think God at some point said, okay, today we, we're going to create rust. It's a deterioration of the good. Yeah, spoiled so, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. I mean, it, it, and so in essence, it, it cannot sustain itself yeah it, can, it needs goodness to be able to, to 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 be to even exist it needs goodness and so well, that's where he talks about it as a parasite and that's yeah, exactly right. yeah. the point you're making it's mm-hmm. got to have something to feed off of right. right or something to be in contrast with oh. and so um so that corruption here he talks about as a dark power and he's dancing around, I guess he eventually gets to the word, but he's dancing around the idea of Satan. And again, he makes the point Satan is uh, is a, a, a created being, but he was created good. For the little that we know about Satan, it appears that he was created good, that he was some sort of an angel who rebels. And so uh, there's a civil war of sorts, yeah. a fall. And so now you have this, this power that is parasitic that's feeding off of God's goodness and the goodness that he creates, corrupting it. And at the moment, Satan appears to be in control. You know, we, we talk about a lot how God is in control, but at the very least, we would say Satan has power and influence. God has given him areas in which he can operate. And we see that all around us, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, you said a civil war. You know, it's um, and I think uh, uh, who are we talking about again? Who's the writer of the? Who's the author of the book again? C.S. <laughs> Lewis. Lewis. There yes. we go. <laughs> well, he he kind of talks about that it being more of a civil war as opposed to uh, dualism, which uh, thinks of 
you know, think of two nations at war, right? And and so you have good versus evil, right? The one being uh, uh, against the other being, um, where it's more like, you know, like they're two separate nations, you know, that idea, like they're two separate nations. But it's more like, wait a minute, this is God's nation, and there's this enemy within that nation trying to uh, rebel. So that civil war uh, kind of um, inside, which is, you know, uh, different than than dualism. It is. It's uh, Uh, it's scarier. Yeah. Because it's harder to recognize threats from inside. Right. Absolutely. So, and we see we see that. I think we we have always seen how, if you just want to look inside Christianity how Christians fight and battle and argue over stuff, divide over stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of it is you have to draw a line and say, well, this is critical and this is not, but sometimes we fight over stuff that you know, you just have to feel like so Satan's just loving this. He's got brother fighting against brother. Right. And um, we've certainly seen that, I think, in the last year uh, as churches have divided over stuff going on in the world, politics and yeah. medical advice and all of that, people with strong ideas. Uh, sort of forgetting sometimes who we are and focusing on those things and not on what we have common in Christ. Yeah. And uh, Satan just feels like the only winner in those conversations. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so it seems like in a lot of ways it seems like Satan is having his way. Mm-hmm. And um, and so in chapter 3, and it's taken us longer to get there than I thought, but I enjoy talking with you, Danny, so, you know, it is what it is, and people can always pause us or stop us and go find something else if they're gabbing too much. Uh, in Chapter 3, he talks about how the this existence of Satan and the, the power of Satan, or evil, mm-hmm. has led to some classic questions. Right. And again, I think these are in line with that question, just that basic question about how can how can there be evil if God is good and God is powerful? Uh, but the first question really has to do with God's will. You know, if evil if evil is if evil exists, does it exist because it's God's will that it exists? H- how would you respond to that, or what would you say to that sort of line of reasoning? Well, um, because I mean, God willed what is right. God willed what is good. God created everything to be good um doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to play out that way so I, I think about my my kids you know and i have you know three children and i have a will for them right i'd say this is what i want done this is what i want to happen right. um uh, leo you have to take out the trash every <laughs> you know monday night or whatever um doesn't necessarily mean that Leo's gonna go take out the trash. Oh come on! I'm sure Leo every Monday. Never. No, he's a good kid. Yeah. yeah, he's a good kid. Looks just like you. But he does, doesn't he? That's scary. <laughs> but um, you know, it doesn't mean that he's gonna do that, right? Um, and that's because Leo, he he can make a choice, right? You know, even though you have authority, right? Right. It's it's scarier too. Just now, we were in different stages of life. You've mm-hmm. got three kids at home. Varying in age from what three to thirteen. Yeah. Okay. I've got two that are essentially out of the house. I've got a twenty-five-year-old living in Tennessee, mm. and a twenty-one-year-old still in college, but mostly living in Arizona. And it's this, it's in a, it's even more of a line where you realize 
I still, in theory, I'm still their parent. Mm-hmm. I could still say to them, this is what you should do. But they, they're not, I mean, they could hang up the phone and go do whatever they want. Yeah. I, have, I have really no authority over them mm-hmm. beyond what they grant me. Yeah. And so the further away you get from, you know, from getting, the more choice you give them, the more you empower people to choose, yeah. the less control you have over them. Right. And so, um, so that's a fundamental thing. We think about God being powerful. We assume God has control. We say that God is in control, but that doesn't mean he's controlling everything. Right. And so, um, I don't know, is that far-fetched? Is that out there? No, I, I think you're right on. I mean, he's not, uh, he's not a micromanager, right? He, he's not a puppeteer, and yeah. we're the puppets... You know, God has given us, he's, he's given us free will. Yeah, which we're going to talk about more. Yeah, he's, he's given us the ability to, to choose and to uh, make decisions. Um, and so... And I think we'll come back to that more just in a minute. Okay. Um, I, I, the, the things that struck me is I'm thinking about this idea of is evil, is the existence of evil somehow part of God's plan or God's will? Mm. Um, two passages that I was thinking about. One the classic Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think one thing we could clearly say from the biblical witness is that God and sin, God abhors sin, hates sin, uh, is appalled by sin. And so the the fact that we all, all, every one of us sin is an indication that God does not clamp down and prevent it from happening. So, and then on, on the, I guess to add to that, I think about the will of God, and there's the passage in First Timothy chapter two when it talks about um, verse four that God wants all people to be saved. That is God's will. God's will is yeah. that everyone spends eternity with Him, and yet, you know, there's no way you can read Scripture and come away with the conclusion that everybody's going to be in heaven someday. Yeah, that's true. So clearly, there's a gap between what God wills and what God will impose. Yeah. And that's where you get to that next question. If it's not if it's not in line with God's will, can we really say that He has absolute power, or is there something else going on here? Mm-hmm. And that's where you what you just said. The best explanation is that He allows us to choose. Yeah, yeah. He allows us to choose. Free will is what what makes evil possible. You know, the, the the fact that God has given us this ability to to choose is what makes evil possible. You know. We could choose not to do God's will, you know. Um, and so there's that. Well, I think we could argue. In fact, we might, this might come up too. I think this will come up a little later. It, it really choice choice is what's going to make good a lot of good things possible as well. Like it's something may not be truly good if it's coerced or forced. Mm. So we'll come back to that. Um, I just, the idea of free will, I think, the term doesn't appear in the Bible anywhere that I know. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a Greek word for it or a Hebrew word for it, but you see it. Yeah. You see it in Scripture. So anything off the top of your head where you would say, clearly God is telling us here, you have to you have to choose between two, not just a, you know what you're going to eat, or you're going to eat this or eat that, but you have to, fundamental choices to make about the direction of your life. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about, like you see this in the garden fundamentally, right? right? right. When God says in, in chapter two, "You must not," 
Right. You must not. Here's the tree. Here's the fruit. You must not eat that fruit. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, he doesn't. Even as he tries to create a scenario or a, an environment in which there's disincentive to do it, he still leaves human beings in the garden with the tree. Yeah. And they still have to make that call. I don't know. I, the other thing I was thinking about, De- there's a passage in Deuteronomy where he talks, there's a lot of places in the Bible where he talks about choosing. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things when people talk about predestination sometimes, I always want to come back and say, just go look through the Bible and see how many times God God asked people to choose. Yeah. <laughs> it's just everywhere. It and, is. Uh, you know, there's the passage in Deuteronomy 30 where, where uh, he's saying, you know, I, in verse 15, he says, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Choose life. Here are your options. <laughs> and down in verse 19, you know, um, now choose life. So, yeah, as you said, so that you and your children may live. It's yeah. it's up to you yeah. to decide. And um, that's empower, empowering and terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the way it's always been. It's the way, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter where you read in the scriptures, you see this playing out, you know, this this ability that God gives us to be able to make these choices. Yeah, yeah and it's it sounds great. We love choice, right? Yeah. I love, sometimes it's overwhelming, but I, I love going into the store and, and not having one option of peanut butter or whatever. And there's a whole, there's a whole wall full. Um, even something you know, something as fundamental as water. <laughs> There's a whole wall full of water options yeah. in the grocery store. Purified water, spring right. water. <laughs> uh, that Costco, who's not paying us to use their product, uh, we pay for our Costco membership. Um, so we so we have that choice, but mm-hmm. we can choose to do good. Because we can choose to do good, we can also choose to do bad. Right. And so the question comes back to why would God? Why would God let us do that? Why would God give us free will? You know, I'll, it doesn't. It doesn't. If I if I may say without being sacrilegious, it doesn't seem like it was a very smart choice on God's part. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I think about you know you you think about the different aspects of God, who God is. You know, God is holy. God is just. God is love, right? Um, and so He created. He, he, he willed all that. He spoke everything into existence. And um, we are the pinnacle of his creation, right? He, he, he created us and he said in his likeness, right? Um, our purpose is to worship God, to love God, right? Um, and if he didn't give us the ability to choose that, would it be real love to begin with? Or would it be any love worth having at all? Right. You know, and I think about my kids again, right? right. You know, um, I don't make my kids love me. I don't make my kids choose to to obey or to, you know, to love their father. They make that choice, you know. And I treat them in a certain way, hoping that they'll love me back, right? right. Um, but, um, uh, and, and I think it's... It's the same way with God. I, I think he, he wants us to love him for who he is and to find full satisfaction in him, um, not so much in the things that he 
does for us, but just that 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 unconditional love, you know, um, that that that's real love. I don't know. That's, and I think that's part of the reason why he he lets us have this free will. It's know. so risky. Yeah. And, and God being God, we have to assume he knew exactly what he was doing. Right. He knew the risks, but man, he makes this perfect world. Everything in it is good, very good. And yet, it's so important to him to allow us to make those decisions. And yeah, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I think about, we live in a world now where artificial intelligence is gaining a lot of ground. It's got some scary possibilities. You can mm-hmm. buy, you can buy already, and we're certainly moving more in that direction. You could buy a robot companion, yeah. and you could program that robot <laughs> to just say nice things to you, pay you compliments, always be there like like a pet. The Jetsons. That, exactly. <laughs> yes, a pet that never that never dies. And you don't have to feed it. Mm. You don't have to walk it. It's just there. To tell you how wonderful you are, and even you could, I'm sure, program it to say "I love you" over and over again. It, that's so far from real human oh, love, absolutely. you know. So far from a human being in your life who looks at you and says, "You know what? I know your issues. Mm-hmm. I know your sins. I know there are times that I can't stand to be around you, but I choose to love you anyway." Yeah. That's- I mean, there's nothing that means more to that in our human relationships. Right. But that's fundamentally love is, is a choice. It's a decision. Absolutely. And uh, so God wants God wants from us what we want from each other. Yeah. We want people to choose to love us. Yeah. We don't I, love that you that you force love by coercion is just control. Yeah. And I can say, you know, frankly, in past relationships I've been in a relationship or two where where for one reason or another I could say I felt like maybe the love was slipping away a little bit mm. my reaction was to kind of grab grab onto it like in the moment you don't you're not intending to control but um, but it, I could see where it would come across that way like yeah. I feel like you're slipping away I'm gonna try to pull you back and that's just that's not the way to do it. No, that never works out. It doesn't well. work. It certainly yeah. has not worked in my yeah. life. Yeah. And so you, you hopefully learn from those things. Mm-hmm. But it reminds us of what God has done. He yeah. has said to us, "Look, I'm not going to force you." Uh, he could do it if he wanted to. He could. We could be puppets on a string. Yeah, he has the power to do that. <laughs> you know, but that's that's why why would he do that? You know, I I, I don't know. You know you. Well, the the easy answer why he would do that is because it would eliminate evil from the world. He could just make us perfect and not allow the possibility Mm -hmm. that that we would ever do anything wrong. But you've got a robot world now. And we miss out on the blessing of a true loving relationship. That's right. And, you know, you have those in your life. There's nothing better. And really, that's, I mean, it says so much about God that that he would take that risk. Which is exactly the terminology Lewis uses at page 38 of his book. He says, apparently God thought it was worth the risk. So there's something inherently valuable in us being able to choose, even though as humans we will often choose poorly. You know, I always think about how he's all-knowing. He knew this 
he knew the cost before it. Yeah. You know, and and when you think about the cost, what it cost God, you know, you go, wow. And and it just deepens, you know, says so much more about God. Yeah. You know, he wasn't going in 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 on this, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's try to figure this out along the way. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the cost, you know, and he did it anyways, you know, and that's, it's powerful. I can't imagine I can't imagine do. I mean, I think about my son again, and I think how you know that that's a love so deep that I I can't even begin to fathom. No, you, know? you can't. That's yeah. uh, and it's the kind of thing you don't understand. You say you understand it before you have children, mm. and you don't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So I always I always crack up again. I'm not a pet person, so you can hate me for that. The people that are listening. <laughs> But I'm not, I'm not anti-pets, but I, I do chuckle at people who, who say, you know, I, well, I have a dog and it's the same as having a child. It's not the same. So, um, and you don't really start to understand what God has done until you have had that, that experience of this human who is part you and part mm-hmm. your significant other and uh, totally dependent on you. Then you start to get it, what God did. Oof. And what love really is, what selfless love really is, because that little person can't do anything for you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet you would take a bullet, take a hundred bullets yeah, for him. Yeah. Well, so we're almost done. In the in the meantime, uh, Satan is trying to use his power, his influence, to try to get us to rebel against God. And so Lewis mentions a couple of things that God uses to sort of. St- stand in the gap to help us oppose what Satan is doing. And here's where we could probably bring in a lot of other theological stuff. Um, Although where he gets to, I think, is um, where we need to get to. But he talks about our conscience as a part of this. He talks about what he calls good dreams, which I think is kind of an odd conversation. He's talking about Mm -hmm. uh, how how God has scattered through different people and places and times this notion of a God who dies and is resurrected, which does exist in other cultures. Um, he talks about how God establishes a chosen people, the Jews, who would show the world his standard and how to live by that standard. So you have the, the Jews and the law in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. But most unexpectedly, he brings things around to how God, or how God most unexpectedly sends a man who talks like he's God. Um, yeah. and how that how bizarre that is. So he's talking about Jesus, of course. Uh-huh. What are the ways that you could think of that you would say, here is Jesus claiming, sometimes he actually says, in a sense, I'm God, but in other ways it's much more subtle. Yeah. So what are some of the things you think of when you think about Jesus making claims to be God in effect? Well, I think about, I mean, Jesus performed many miracles, uh, exercise demons. I mean, he did all those things. But you know, when you have a person talking about, I forgive your sins. You know, I, that's yeah. like that's on a whole another level. What do you mean? Only God can forgive sins. Right. Which what? is generally the response he gets when he says that, right? Yeah, the yeah. religious experts are like, yeah. "Who's this guy? Think he is? Only God can do that." Exactly. Well, ultimately, it was the charge, right? Blasphemer, sure. right? And so, but that is a, uh, God, that, a claim of divinity. That's a claim of divinity, yeah. exactly right. And so. Um, 
yeah, I mean, that's one of the big, the bigger things. Um, and, and it seemed to be the one he was concerned with the most. You know, uh, you've been going through this uh, uh, in your sermon series uh, in Matthew mm-hmm. uh, about uh, right now you're going through miracles and talking about some of these miracles. And, um, and you see in that, you know, he heals, but then, he, you know, he goes to the, the deeper issue, which right. is our sin problem. Yeah, this is a big one. And even just, Lewis makes a point, which I hadn't really thought about before, but even just the idea that Jesus talks as though when you are sinning, when the implication of Jesus saying, I, I can forgive you, is kind of like you're saying, even though I, maybe I'm sinning against you, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to forgive you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. What he's really saying is, well, Jeff, when you sin against Danny, you're sinning against me. Right. And even that, when you stop and step back and think about it, that's, yeah, that's really what he's saying here. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a interpersonal thing. Exactly. When we yeah. sin, we're yeah. sinning against God, whatever it is we've done. Yeah. And so that pronouncement of forgiveness is, is big. It is. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's one way he talks like God. I think about how, uh, I, I love when Jesus says, um, before Abraham was, I am, I am. Yeah, which is uh, one of the names of God, I am. Right. Which oh, for us, we would hear that today and we go, uh, what, yeah. you know, it, it wouldn't really resonate with us, but right. in that time with the Jews yeah. and them knowing the law, the way, and them knowing Isaiah's prophecy, the way that, yeah. uh, you get, know, that get a rock, would, right? Uh, right. And some, let's bounce some rocks off this guy's head and we'll yeah. silence him. And, yeah. 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 So. so there's that, there's the, and there's the, uh, you know, he's, he talks as though he's going to come back in judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, who can come back and judge other than God? So yeah. all of these things, even when Jesus is not specifically saying, I am God, he comes and he acts and talks like God, which yeah. we believe he is. Well, so. yeah, and, and even the fact that he allows people to worship him. Yes, you he know? does. Um, you know, uh, you read in the scriptures uh, when when. When people fall before angels and they try to worship angels, you know, the angels always go, no, get up. <laughs> no, <Ooh>. you know, whoa. <laughs> um, as scary as they sound, because they don't sound like the right. little angel, baby angels that we see in our day, right? Yes. <laughs> but, you know, but Jesus, he allows that, you know. And so there's another way of that we see that he's he's okay with that, that he's he's claiming divinity. He's yeah. claiming that he's God. It's not an ego thing. It's, it's appropriate. It's, it's appropriate, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So what you end up with after all this, uh, Lewis leaves this chapter sort of with this thought, um, if you believe that Jesus existed after all that, and and certainly I think we can say broadly, um, even secular historians, for the most part, agree that there was a man named Jesus who lived and walked the earth in that time frame, in that place. Uh, he's not a made-up character. There's still a few holdouts on that, but most people, yeah. even atheists, largely would say this guy exists. So if he mm-hmm. exists, you've basically got two choices, broadly speaking. Either you could say, well, he was a he was a great teacher. He was a moral man. He he had a lot of wisdom and wise sayings, and maybe even some you know some mystical healing abilities. But he wasn't God. Mm-hmm. You have that on one on the one hand. Or he is exactly who he says he was, and the irony of of, uh, of these claims, these truth claims that we just talked about, or these claims of divinity, means that option is really not available to us. If he right. was just a great moral teacher, 
but he's going around telling people he's God, then he's not a great moral teacher. He's a crazy man. Yeah, right. And so later in this book, Lewis will describe him using terms that um, that have come to be one of his best-known phrases, which is essentially he's either he's either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's the Lord. Mm. And those are kind of your only options. So, so that is, I'm sure we've, we've spent way too much time on this. Hey, we're right at like 48 minutes, right, Danny? Yeah, I think we need to set a new goal. I think our goal should be 49 no, minutes. 49 minutes. Under 49 minutes. Or maybe <laughs> under 50, just to give ourselves a little cushion. <laughs> Anyway, it's a good discussion. I love talking about it this is. stuff with you, and I appreciate your thoughts on this. And you stretch me, you know, and my thinking, and I appreciate that a lot. So next time we will get together, we will talk about, or we'll wrap up Mere Christianity Book 2. And so we will, as I think I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to go through Chapter 4 fairly quickly. We'll talk about uh, what he has to say about repentance, repentance and atonement. And then chapter five, we'd like to talk about a little more because this is more of, a, of an in-depth discussion on, on new life and what it means to have new life and how, how, how we practice that new life, how we go out into the world and live as, uh, as Christians. Yeah. And so this is where he's getting much closer to where we want to get to in this conversation. Yeah. So that's all for today. Any other wisdom to lay on our listeners? No, just... Uh... Drink purified water. Drink purified water. It does not have to be from Costco. No, it doesn't have to be. Although it's good value. Oh, we thank you for listening. We do thank appreciate you. that. Yeah. And uh, until next time, blessings. <laughs>